Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion team. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 non-stop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. It's now time for A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. From amazing stories to colorful personalities, join us as we go in-depth with the men and women that make up the Oakland Athletics Organization. It all starts right now. It's now time for A's Unfiltered. What do we have for you in this episode? Well, we're going to have a former A's coach, and he's now with the Washington Nationals, a Bay Area guy, and a close friend to Bob Melvin. Chip Hale is going to join us as we talk to him about their run to the World Series with the Washington Nationals. The All-Star, Liam Hendricks, is going to be by. And then Paul Hemikides from ESPN, one of their top researchers, and we love to have him on the show because the nickname Himbo, nobody, he and Sarah Langs, the two best in the business, and what Himbo does for ESPN, it's great, great stuff. And J.J. Cooper from Baseball America talking about this fight going on between Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball. And nobody follows Minor League Baseball better than Baseball America. So there's going to be some changes coming down the pike here with Minor League Baseball. And this interview with J.J. Cooper I thought was quite fascinating. But first off, our old friend Chip Hale. It's great to see him. It's great to see Kurt Suzuki, Sean Doolittle, all with the Nats in the World Series. Here's Chip. Chip Hale, who was a great coach, bench coach for the Oakland Athletics, grew up in San Jose, managed the Diamondbacks, and now going to the World Series with the Washington Nationals. Always great to have him on the program. Chip, how are you? And congratulations. Well, thank you guys so much, and um, I'm doing great, obviously. (laughs) We're going to the World Series, so um, couldn't be doing better. You know, we just just hung up with him, and I wanted to share this with you, is because I know how much coaching means to you and how how close you got to the players. We just talked to Jared Parker, and Jared Parker now has a, a performance school down in Nashville where he's working with baseball players and other athletes. And we all know how that ended and how horrific that was. And just to know he's doing so well, I just wanted to pass that along because it was kind of emotional talking to him because I remember talking to him when it was all over. Isn't it great to see the people we were around from that group still doing well? 
Well, of course. Yeah. And, and like you said, it is so tough for him. And he was such a big part of our club um, that made that great run in 2012. And then, you know, obviously we thought, you know, it was going to be nothing but uh big time success for him forever, you know, in baseball, as long as you could pitch. And uh, unfortunately it just didn't last that long. So I'm glad to hear that. I heard that he's doing well. And I think, uh, most, most guys that can achieve um, Major League Baseball, I think, can can move on after it if they just put their mind to it. They they you know obviously performed under the most uh, the biggest spotlight you can, and I think in, if they just put their mind to something, they can they can get they can do well at it. So I'm glad to hear he's doing it. You know, when I think about your guys's club, you know, there was a time where you're thinking, oh, boy, this is going to be a long year. When you guys were sitting at 19 and 31, and you're in May, and then all of a sudden you turned it around, kind of like how the A's did it in 2012 when there was a struggle. What was that like for you guys this year for the Washington Nationals once it clicked and you knew, okay, this is the team we're supposed to be? Yeah, (laughs) well, to be Completely honest with you, like you said, we said, well, it's going to be a long year. We we didn't think it was going to be a long year at that point. We didn't know if we were going to be around later. So um, there was such there were so many rumors flying around D.C. and um, and baseball that we were going to, you know, whether it was Davey, the manager or the rest of us or, you know, a few of us be let go. So um, we just stuck to our guns. I think we had a meeting in, back in, in Washington and we just told the players how we felt about them and, and we knew that they could do really well. Um, and just to relax and play. Uh, but you know, a lot of it had to do with health. The, the group was hurt. You know, we looked back at the, we looked back at the, the lineups we were running out there when we were really struggling and, and there was no Rendon, there was no Soto, there was no Turner. Um, a lot of guys were, were on the, the IL, as they call it now, the injured list. So I think we were a club that knew that if we could get in the tournament um, with our full group, that we would we we could do okay. But at that point, we didn't have them. We didn't have those those great position players that have carried us. So I don't know if there was ever a point because remember we didn't win the division. We came in as a wild card, so that we were we were battling and playing playoff games the last two months basically just to get into this this tournament. So um we were in a tough division philadelphia was good new york is very very good and of course the, the braves uh were were the good team in our division the best so um there was never a time where we said okay here we go i mean we we, we had a six we were down six in the ninth in the mets got the big home run from xa suzuki to win that game which was incredible and i think at that point we thought hey if we we can get in this thing we could do we can do some damage so uh we just sort of grounded out all the way through the end yeah, you mentioned Kurt and Sean Doolittle and yourself. All the A's fans are pulling for you as we talk about it all the time here. A's Cast Live with Chris Townsend, and we got Chip Hale, pinch, uh, bench coach for the Washington Nationals. And, you know, when, when I start thinking about what you said, you're playing playoff baseball, and the A's were saying it, doing the same thing under Bob Melvin this year, same thing as last year, playing playoff baseball before it even starts. And then I also think about here you are in Washington – and there's all that doubt around the team, right? This team hasn't won a big game and hasn't been able to win in the playoffs. I mean, just to get that monkey off your guy's back in that in the wild card game and in, in the NLDS, what a relief that must have been for everybody. Yeah, Chris, I think more of a relief for our ownership 
to be frank. I think the guys on this team, there's a few of them, of course, has been here the whole time. Um, and you could see there was a little trepidation with, with some of those guys. But I think more ownership and, and front office people more than us because uh, most of it, you know, was with guys like Juan Soto's 20, you know, Robles 21. These guys haven't, you know, they haven't been at the big league level that long. So they were just grinding hard and, and battling best they could. Uh, but you could see it. You could see that when we got to get the, even the wild card game was like, okay, well, you know, it's been a good year. And guys were like, you know, basically our, in our coaches room, we just said, looked at a couple of the owners said, we're going to win this thing. We'll be fine. We're going to win. And then we move on to the Dodgers and they were like, ah, oh, the Dodgers are the best team in the National League. And we knew when the season started, if we could get in this thing, with Scherzer, Strasburg, Corbin, and Annabelle Sanchez as our starters, that we could do some damage. And nobody, I know there's teams out there that, that we've played that were thinking the same thing, like just don't let these guys in. Uh, these starters, are, if they're locked in, they're really tough to, to face. So I think, like you said, it was just more that, that the people who've been through it so many times here. So we, 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 were, we were good with it. And I think about Soto, my God, an all-world talent. Like, all, all your years playing, coaching, managing, who would you compare him to? Well, it's hard. To, I, like, I don't like to compare people, but he is a wonderful kid. Um, better probably, you know, kid than he is a baseball player. And he is a, he is a talent that only comes around once a generation. And I think Max Scherzer said it best uh, was probably last year. When he when about two months into his thing, he just looked at everybody. And Max is one of the most intelligent baseball people I've ever been around. Whether it's base running, uh, sequencing a pitching, everything about the game, he knows. And he he said, you know, he was around, you know, Miguel Cabrera all those years in Detroit, and he said this guy is like Cabrera, if not better. So I mean, those, those are those are guys you don't come around very often. And he's gonna he's gonna get better and better. You saw. There's, you know, there's some struggles there with, with, with some certain things in the game, but he works so hard at it, and, uh, yeah, he's a very, very special talent. And when you talk about the, the mix, uh, uh, the right mix for a club, when you start talking about veteran guys, you start talking about guys that are young guys, and then you got guys in their prime. It's like you got the perfect mix going. You got all three levels of the young guys, guys in their prime, veteran guys. Talk about how it just seems like the yeah. mix is right. Now you're exactly right. It's 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 it, it wasn't that way to start, and I think the acquisition of Gerardo Parra, and then getting uh, Cabrera from Texas at the uh, I think it was in August, but those two guys. Um, really changed the clubhouse and the culture. When we were really struggling, we got walked off four times in New York, had every game won, and it was just a rough go for our bullpen. Um, we came back, and I remember Parr just putting on almost dance music at an hour before the game and loud, and everybody's looking around, and that just wasn't the way the D.C. clubhouse worked before that. And uh, guys got into it, and then we started a little thing we do after the game, after a win, and it caught on, and he just was able to loosen everybody up in game and before the game, after the game, and kind of bring guys together. But the mix of the mix is, is important. I think if you go back to the great years of of the Atlanta Braves and all those divisions they won. Of course, they didn't win enough World Series, but all those divisions in a row, they always had that one rookie that came up. You know, whether it was Andrew Jones or Chipper Jones, and those guys would mix in with the older guys, and that's the key. If, if your young guys 
we'll listen because the, in the game today, whether it's the coach is talking, whether it's a uh, veteran player, they can just as easily blow the guy off. Um, that's just the way things are in, in, in today's world. And these guys really listen to these guys. I, I know Parra many times has put his arm around Soto and said, hey, this, 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 and this about this pitcher. He's a left-handed hitter, same deal. Outfield play. And really helped him and really settled him down at times. Um, so it, it's a really important. And, of course, the guys in their prime. I mean, Tony Rendon has had an MVP season. Uh, of course, Strasburg and Scherzer are, are just pitching out of, their, out of their head right now. So it's a really nice mix. So my, my twins are 13, so I didn't get to do the baby shark craze. Uh, but did, did, yeah. you, did you ever think the, the baby shark would, would, would unite these guys and get it going? It was unbelievable. I, you know, he, he just started, and he, he put that somewhere like, what is he doing? Is this his walk-up? And guys were laughing on the bench, and the next thing you knew, the fans started kind of getting into it. The bench got into it. And, it, you know, last night, or two nights ago, excuse me, when we beat the, the Cardinals, you know, we get up seven zip and boom, we, you know, things are looking good. All of a sudden now it's seven to four and guys are going, okay, we got to hold on to this thing. And we kept saying on the bench, Hey, we're ahead. You know, we're ahead. We're okay. We're going to be fine. And uh, we decided, Hey, let's, let's have par pinch in. And part of the reason we had to send them up there was to kind of get the crowd re re into it. And uh, every time that comes on, boy, they get up and they get charged up and we wanted to kind of get them back in the game because, uh, they really helped us a lot. So, yeah, it, it's something. Um, and he digs it. And uh, it's funny all the different shirts that have come out about it. Yeah, no matter what, baby sharks or whatever, you've got four guys on the mound. And you mentioned Scherzer is going to be a Hall of Famer. Strasburg has gone from a thrower coming out of San Diego State to just a great pitcher. And you got Corbin, and you got Anibal Sanchez, the veteran guy. I mean, you're four. It really is what gives you a puncher's chance in this World Series, the four guys you're truly running out there. It does. It sure does. And, and, and we need to, you know, be really, you know, not worried, but just think about the idea that to get them deep into the game, and that's what they did against St. Louis and the Dodgers. Um, so if we can get them into the sixth, if they can get through six into the seventh, we're in good shape because uh, Dew's pitched great uh, since his little hiccups in uh, August. And, uh, of course, Daniel Hudson's been great. And we're, we're getting some guys who were up and down all year and, and kind of, you know, like you said, more of throwers starting to figure it out. And it's, it's, it's been pretty cool. I mean, uh, Tanner Rainey throwing 100 miles an hour has it's been giving us huge innings in, this, in the uh, tournament so far. And, and we'll see. We we had a little live BP today with a couple of our other guys that are tightening it up, and hopefully they'll help in the World Series. But both these teams that you know we have a chance to face, uh, Houston, who we play in spring training seven or eight times, that we share a complex with them. And then the Yankees are very veteran, um, grinded out hitters. So you know that that is a little bit of a worry in that the pitch counts could rise a little quicker. So we'll see. It'll be interesting. I, I, um, we're excited about it. We're, we're trying to keep the guys as fresh as we can that week off sometimes plays a little bit of havoc with you, but I think Davey's been through it with the, um, the Tampa Bay Rays. Um, and of course, Kevin Long, our hitting coach has been through it with the, uh, Mets. So we, we put together a schedule to kind of keep them fresh, but you know, not, not, not keep them out there for five, six hours a day. 
Let's end on this. We know how much the Bay Area means to you. Right now, I, I'm doing the show from San Jose, and Willow Glen is where my house is, and I know it's an area where you grew up. And I think about your time with the A's and, and your relationship with Bob Melvin, how close you guys are. Just talk about what the Bay Area means to you and, and what your time with the A's meant to you. Yeah, well, first of all, the Bay Area is, uh, you know, where you where you, you know, are born and raised, obviously spent a lot of time in Willow Glen. My grandparents lived there. So we were over there every weekend until I was probably 13 years old. So we, you know, where Cupertino was where, where we were uh, based out of until high school. And then I moved up to Moraga and went to Camp Alindo. So I uh, love the Bay Area, love the A's. Um, you know, I really grew up as, you know, as a South Bay kid. I was, I was Giants, 49ers, more than A's and, and, uh, and Raiders. And then when I moved over to the East Bay, was it every A's game in high school that I could go to? So. So really, I love both franchises. Um, but Bob's been a huge part of my career. He brought me to the big leagues as a coach, um, gave me that opportunity in 2007 with the Diamondbacks and brought me over to the A's to bench coach. So um, I really owe a lot to him uh, for this career as a coach and manager. So, um, uh, you know, and Billy and, and David have always been great. I, you know, I texted with him before the wildcard games and uh, wishing the best, but uh, it's a great organization, and, and I'm hoping that that uh, everything gets worked out there and they can get something built. Because um, you you know we 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 just love love having those two teams in the Bay Area. I'd hate to see it change. Chip, thank you so much for the time. Truly appreciate it, and good luck to you. You know we're pulling for you in the World Series. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate it. Well, we're all rooting for our former A's. I can tell you that in the World Series. How about all-star closer Liam Hendricks, as we like to say, friend of the program. And Liam's first appearance in the offseason right here on A's Unfiltered. Liam Hendricks is now with us here on A's Cast Live. Liam, how have you been? We've missed you. I've been good. How about you guys? We're uh, we're hanging in there. How are you? Just trying to survive. My uh, my wife's throwing a party tonight. For uh, she's going out once a month just to get some friends over and doing that. So I am uh, planning my escape. So I'm going to go with uh, some of the husbands. We're going to go to uh, Buffalo Wild Wings, watch the hockey game, watch the Montreal play hockey, watch Game Four of the ALCS. Just try and pretty much avoid everything that's going on at the half tonight. Yeah, there's just sometimes as a husband you got to go. Hey, I support what you're doing. But I got to get the hell out of here. Oh, she, if I didn't get out, she'd be kicking me out of it regardless. So, I mean, it's, it's a mutual thing. <laughs> well, today is Spirit Day in Major League Baseball in support of National Bowling Prevention Month. And I know this is a day that means a lot to you, which you've been working on, cyberbullying. And isn't it nice that it's just not someone like Liam Hendricks, that we're getting the sport MLB baseball and MLB pride and supporting uh, LGBTQ community and the youth to getting everybody behind it. Yeah, it's huge. I mean, obviously, anytime you get a chance to um, to have a day like this to raise awareness for a good cause and everything, it's it's, it's huge. But uh, not only to get some of the players on board, but just to have the backing of actually MLB, the clubs, and a bunch of different like communities where we can raise as much awareness as we can to just say that this is a problem. It's not that hard. It's actually harder to be mean than it is to be nice. So just like it's, it's like sometimes those words that you say can have an adverse effect, and they can they can really rattle somebody. So it's just it's, it's just making sure that you kind of think of what you're going to say, and uh, and make sure you're just putting your best foot forward so that 
Like you don't have to worry about anyone doing it back to you again. So as my kids that are 13 years old, my twin girls, as they're entering their teenage years, and ever since I started talking to you about this and you have educated us, I've started to really see what you've been talking about to where, you know, traditionally bullying was, you know, somebody is just a jerk at school. It is so transformed into cyberbullying because everybody's got a phone. Everybody is somehow connected by an app or a device. It's cyberbullying, which is really so scary with our young kids and these young teenagers. Yeah, I mean, you, it, just look at what the um, on the A's Instagram page today. Like, uh, we had posted about it. They had posted uh, the video of me talking about it. They had said they were going to post something before I, the video they posted. And all you hear under the comments is focus on baseball. Yeah, well, how about well, how about some spirit of the fact that you guys have been eliminated twice in the wildcard games? It's just it's that unnecessary thing where guys or girls like they, they think they're being funny. But it ends up being very, very detrimental to everything that trying to we're trying to actually accomplish with the day. It just proves that point, the fact that it's out there. It's very, very common. And we need to do what we can to band together to kind of uh, strike out bullying, as per se. So how is everything going with your campaign with striking out bullying? And what are you going to do here in the off season? It's good. So um, we've, uh, we've raised the money. So uh, like, Fortunately enough, uh, with the uh, Roberto Clemente nomination, they give a little donation to that. So that went to Stand for the Silent. Um, we've been doing our part. went to a Boys and Girls Club just before the end of the season in Oakland. We're actually going out in uh, early December, I believe, to speak at the Boys and Girls Club in Oakland um, at their gala out there. So it's just trying to get as much as we can and the exposure we can to get it done. But um, right now, it's just a little bit of a, a lull period where we do we handle what we can on social media and then we can try and figure out where some speaking engagements throughout the course of the off-season and just try and do it that way. It's, um, this off-season is a little tough. We're going back to Australia in December, so I'm going to be home for Christmas. And then we're going to come back and, and get the ball rolling with uh, trying to prepare for the regular season next year, next season again. So I know it hasn't been announced yet. I don't know what you know. Can you tell us about where we are in the process for uh, the Roberto Clemente Award? No, I have no idea. All I know is that I'm nominated and the uh, – the winner will be announced during the World Series. I'm not sure if they've told whoever's winning. I'm not sure if they are waiting until a few days in advance before they fly out, or they're just waiting for the schedule to be settled because I don't even know which day it's going to be. Like the the uh, the award presented, I'm not sure what um, what day or anything like that is. I mean, it will be it will be such an honor to be able to go there. But um, I mean, obviously, if you if you don't make the World Series, that's that's it's about the best way you can get there with uh, with not playing in it, but um, yeah, I don't I don't have any more information than like publicly that's uh, public knowledge. So it's just uh, sitting here in a waiting pattern and, and and see what happens. You know, looking back, reflecting on your year, you've ha- you've had a little time, and I know we talked a lot about here on A's Cast Live. Your journey has just been, I mean, it's like a Disney story to think where you were June twenty fifth, the year before being DFA'd. Then you come back and you're starting the wild card game. Then the next year you're in the all-star game. I mean, just the turnaround that you had and the season. I mean, your numbers from this year are absolutely incredible. Now that you've had time to kind of sit back, decompress, how do you look back at 2019? Well, I think it's everybody's dream to be a Disney princess, isn't it? I mean, I'm all I'm all for it. We're going to head to a 
I think we may actually head uh, head to Disney World for Thanksgiving this year to try and get uh, beat the crowds and try and uh, and do that. But I mean, I I think I've watched every Disney movie that's come out, regardless of uh, what it's been on. So I'm I'm a huge Disney princess fan. So if we ever get that happen, I'll do a gender swap. I'll do whatever it needs to be done. But um, no, thinking about the uh, the season we just had was uh, it's it's pretty surreal so far. I think it's one of those things where I outdid every goal I had. Like I wrote some goals down before the season started and that was just what, what like I want to get into this many games. I want to stay healthy. It was, wasn't so much about saves. It was more about getting an opportunity to hold and it was more about just going out there and doing what I can. But um, this year was one of those years where I came in not expecting anything. And I think that has helped me tremendously in, in what I was able to accomplish this year. And I've already had this conversation with my wife. It's like if if I'm going into, I, I don't want to go into spring training as like being the shoe in to be a closer. I want to be able to win that spot again because that's the only way that I know how to go out there and, and put my best foot forward. So if I go out there and start being complacent about anything like that, that's usually when I get into trouble. So I need to go out there and be like, no, 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 I'm winning this position. I'm the best man for the job on this team. I'm going to go out there and prove to everybody why. I think the biggest change for you we can talk physical all you want. I think the biggest change for you is in between your ears. I think when you change mentally, is that that's when your career changed. Would you agree? Oh, 100%. I think you um, – you, I, I would get so caught up in the fact of, okay, well, if I'm the sixth inning guy, why am I pitching in the fourth inning? Or if I'm the seventh inning guy, why am I pitching in the sixth inning? Or if I'm this guy, why am I throwing – why am I pitching in a game when we're up or down by ten runs? And it just – it's sort of that downward spiral of me expecting to be somewhere, and then if I wasn't, I just reacted poorly. So this year I went into the season, like, I don't care what situation I'm in, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to pitch. And you saw at the start of the year, like, the first couple games in Japan, I was in the slightly leveraged situations. Then when we got back, it was kind of low leverage, go get your two innings kind of stuff. And then it just gradually kind of uh, got back to leverage innings, and I kept rolling with it, and I just kept being excited to pitch, and that's all I wanted to do. I just wanted to pitch. And, um, yeah, I, I feel like I had a pretty good year with that, and hopefully we can take it into next year. And if we, uh, we can hopefully make some, some additions to the team and, uh, and get to that playoff contention where we're actually uh, challenging for the division title rather than the wild cup. Yeah, that's going to be something that I'm going to talk about throughout the offseason, winter meetings, heading into spring training. You know, this group that's going to be coming back, there's not going to be a whole lot of new additions to this team. You guys are who you are. You know how good you are. But the key is no more slow starts. This team has to get out to – I'm not saying you got to get out to a good start, I mean a great start, but you got to come out and you got to win, and you can't get behind because that's the thing now. You're going to win the division. You're going to have to win over 100 games, and a good start is going to be a key, and not only a good start, but just consistent month after month. Without a doubt, I think with us, we've uh, we've struggled in the first month, month and a half, two months of the season, the last two years in a row. And it's um, last year, at, uh, two years ago in 2018, it kind of transpired. When I got DFA'd, they went on a run. So, so I mean, maybe they, maybe that's something we need to look at. Just getting the clubhouse pariah out of the out of the place. But um, no, I think this year we've, we're going to have a lot of the same faces back. I think there's a couple little tweaks now that we can make some adjustments on and. I think the biggest uh, the biggest need for us is just just a couple of veteran presences. We've got Sorry and Petit back in the bullpen, so I don't think we need to change too much veteran leadership wise in the bullpen. I think you throw an extra like throw a starter out there and have that veteran presence of someone who's been around for 
eight, nine, ten years and being have that stable presence of just kind of calming everybody down, especially with the fact of if um, if AJ and if uh, Lozado get into the starting rotation, bringing Montas back. And there's, there's three pretty young guys, not including Manaya, who's he's young in age, but he's uh, experienced beyond his years. But um, throwing guys like that in there just to have that kind of stable stable relationship. And it's, uh, I think that's the biggest thing for the pitching staff, is just having those veteran guys there that can take those young guys under their wings and be like, no, no, no. Like, don't worry about it. You had a bad one. You had a you had a great one. Let's just everything stays the same. But uh, you don't let it snowball either way. I don't know if you, how much of the baseball playoffs you've been watching, but it looks like uh, if it goes the way I think it's going to go, the two teams that are going to be in the World Series are the two teams that get the most innings out of their starters. Yeah, it's been a nice trend uh, to see that happening. The uh, the teams that are doing well so far have been kind of letting their uh, letting their starting rotation speak for itself, and that's uh, that's uh, that's the way it should be. They've started all year. They've gone six, seven innings all year. Why change the method methodology methodology throughout uh, throughout the playoffs? I mean, yeah, there's some certain pieces where it can be like okay, sixth inning, and he's starting. He's got a couple guys, and you get somebody loose, but you do that during the regular season. But during the regular season, you never have anybody getting getting loose or anything in the third or the fourth inning with one of your horses out there on the mound. I think you look at uh, you look what the Astros were able to do with Garrett Cole. Like they he grinded out seven innings. Like he, if he's on normal teams, he's done up to six. If he's a normal person, he's done up to three. But he was able to get out of it, and it's just uh, you got to see where it takes you at some point. You got to be able be able to ride that, especially now coming into a series where they've got four games in a row. You have four games in a row. I mean, you you have to be able to take care of that bullpen. Just like if it goes all four, but at, um, this this is a, this is the opportunity where a guy, the the team who uses their starters the most has a chance to absolutely burn through the other team's bullpen, and that can only be good for them. Hey, next season, if you're ever jonesing for some Disney princesses, I own every one of those movies. So if you're ever jonesing, let me know. <laughs> Uh, I'm pretty sure as soon as, or if it if it hasn't come out yet, the uh, the Disney streaming service. As soon as that comes out, I'm going to be getting into it. But uh, yeah, for right now, it's uh, we've got the party tonight, taking the weekend, and then I start my throwing program on Monday. So we're getting straight back into it. Well, ha- enjoy your really big night tonight at Buffalo Wild Wings. Yeah, I'm going to get. I'm going to go there. I'm going to have some chicken wings and have a nice lemonade and be good. You are the best, my friend. Be well, and we'll catch up with you soon. All right, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me, and let me know anytime you need me on here. Right? Next up is Paul Himikides. He is the top researcher and one of the producers for Get Up on ESPN. That is their morning show, and he's a baseball guy. Like, when you follow him on Twitter, I mean, he's got everything going, NFL, he's got NBA, but his number one sport is baseball. And he stopped by to break down the World Series to give us some nuggets before game one. Himbo, how you doing? It's Chris Townsend with the A's. Chris, what's up, buddy? How are you today? I am so excited. I just got back from – by the way, have you ever been to Lambeau Field? I've never been to Lambeau Field, but it's a bucket list item for me and for any sports fan for that matter. Yeah, I got to tell you, I was just there with the Raiders, and it truly it, – it's so much better than I thought – because it's it's more than just the stadium, the Hall of Fame. They basically own all the land around it, and they have so many bars and restaurants and fun. So I'm telling you right now, as a sports fan, you have to go. Those fans there are as good as any in the country. I did a Brewers game like two or three years ago with some buddies, like a Monday, 6 o'clock, meaningless game. 
and we have folks tailgating like three hours before, like for a for a baseball game in July, like on like on a weekday. I was I was blown away with with the commitment and and the whole you know the grilling setup and everything else. I, I it was the coolest thing ever. So I'd imagine the, the the scene on a Sunday at Lambeau is that you know by a factor of ten. You do such a good job making everybody look good on the show Get Up on ESPN in the morning, and I have to tell you this. It might be the best set in all of television with the views of New York. I mean, it's incredible. It's it's a really, really good setup. The worst 15 seconds of the day is that little camera shot over to me where every day, predictably, they get my trivia question wrong. Because, uh, you know, from a very, from very early age, uh, not seen but heard. But either way, that's, that's a super fun segment that we get to do. And I love the way that they have us set up in there. Like, we're, we are – like we are over the East River, uh, you know, right next to the Brooklyn Bridge and Brooklyn right on the other side. It's a beautiful spot. When you get those sunrises, especially at this time of year, it's a prime, it's prime territory. Yeah, so I'm looking at, at, at your notes that you supplied us, and I just, I don't know. I just, knowing the kind of starting pitching that the Nationals have, I'm just, I'm kind of shocked the Astros are such favorites. Are you or do you agree with Vegas? Well, the Nationals played their 50th game of the season on May the 23rd. And since that date, they and the Astros have both played 122 games, including the playoffs. During that time, Washington is 82-40 and 40 with a plus 203 run differential. Houston, meanwhile, is 81-41 and 41 with a plus 192. So I don't take issue with the Astros being favored, but the notion that the Nats are this upstart underdog is debunked by literally five months of data that say otherwise. Yeah, so, I mean, what you've researched, you see this series being closer than people think. Most definitely. Like, we're not talking about, like, two months and sort of gerrymandering the numbers here. Like, their 50-game their start is well-documented. And the, and the Astros, for the last three years, have been a juggernaut. But this iteration of the Nationals, this group that made it this far, they're every bit as good as, as the Astros. And I would even argue that the National League was stronger than the American League this year in some sense, just because you had fewer teams tanking, and the Astros were able to just beat up on some of those on some of those slum dogs. And meanwhile, like the Nationals had to fight for positioning the playoffs for such a long time, but I feel like they've been awfully prepared to play this postseason and have been able to overcome those late deficits as a result. You know, we, we've we've had a lot of World Series over the years. There's no question about that. And and you know, you don't you you don't want to be a prisoner of the moment, but the reality of what we are going to see in Game One. And what we're going to see in game two, the names on the back of the jerseys of the guys going to be going out there, I don't know. You've researched it. I don't know if we've seen a better game one and two matchup for starting pitchers in the history of the World Series. Never in World Series history have pitchers who combined for at least 550 regular season strikeouts opposed each other on the mound. But it's going to happen now twice in the next three days. Max Scherzer and Garrett Cole combined for 569, while Steven Strasburg and Justin Verlander combined for 551. And according to our friends at the Elias Sports Bureau, the record for such a thing had been 548. That was Bob Gibson and Benny McLean in 1968, the year of the pitcher, of course. They squared off in games one and four of the Fall Classic that year. So by one standard of measure, we're going to get the two best starting pitching matchups in the history of the World Series on back-to-back nights. And then the one thing that, you know, we talk a lot about in the, in the American League, and the, the A's are this way too, we had a little saying this year, ball goes far, team goes far, meaning the A's were very reliant on the home run to score. The Astros can be the same way. Nats not so much. Talk about the difference between the Astros and the Nats, and the Nats don't need a home run to beat you. 
No, I, was, I heard you making this point earlier. Recent history shows that Homer Reliant teams don't fare as well in the Fall Classic as their counterparts. In the previous 10 years, only 34% of runs scored by World Series winners came by the home run. The average percentage for losers in that time is much higher, 45%. And that trend bodes well for the Nats. In the LCS, Washington scored only two of its 20 runs on homers, while 15 of Houston's 22 runs came that way. Further, the Nats have won three consecutive postseason games in which they failed to homer. The Astros have lost six straight such games dating to 2017. And I think late in games, though, if you're going to have to pick either bullpen, knowing the struggles that the Nats have had this year with the bullpen, wouldn't you say it'd be advantage Houston late in games? I would say so, but not by a terribly large margin. I mean, oh, look, your eyes and my eyes tell us the same thing most of the time. Watching Roberto Osuna pitch this postseason has not been that pleasant. Like, I don't know how you <laughs> feel good about the ball being in that guy's right hand. Like, Sean Doolittle and Daniel Hudson, to me, engender more confidence that, than that guy does. Certainly. So, look, I think you're going to see starters on both sides really produce a lot of length. But this thing might, this thing might, you know, break open like crazy late in late in games because not only are neither bullpen deep, even the top end guys in these bull, in these bullpens has, have not been that effective. So we could see some low scoring games early, and then this this like it's going to be like the sixth, the seventh, the eighth, and the ninth innings. I think could likely determine the outcomes here. We could see all sorts of craziness. I don't think that's outlandish to suggest. And the trend in baseball, everybody wants to go young. But these two teams are not young. They're made up of a lot of veterans. I love this note. While most teams are prioritizing that young, cost-control talent, like you said, the Astros and the Nets have built World Series teams doing the exact opposite. In fact, this year marks just the fifth time. This is a pretty lengthy research project. The fifth time that the oldest teams in both leagues meet in the World Series. Most recently, it happened when the Yankees and the Diamondbacks met in 2001. So in some sense, while the whole league is zigging in one direction, these teams have zagged a tad, and when you look at the free agent acquisitions that they've made and the trades that they've made to sort of assemble these rosters, I think, in a, at least in some sense, that those moves are the reason these teams are the last two ones standing. God, I love that stat, and it makes me think, okay, why is it? And it's just, is it because veteran guys end up being very resilient because a lot of these guys have a tremendous amount of experience? Well, resilient could certainly be, but even a lot more predictable, like, the Cleveland Indians would be, have made the postseason this year if they had just chosen to sign Michael Brantley instead. The Astros did that, and he ended up hitting, hitting third for them. Like we, with veterans, at the very least, you at least have a decent idea what to expect. Whereas uh, an international kid or a kid in the draft, which is generally what these teams are choosing to do, or a minor, you know, a, a minor leaguer, a, a high-profile minor leaguer with all the tools, it's just very hard to predict the outcomes, right? With, with these veterans. That's why, look, if you look at what the Astros gave up for Justin Verlander and Garrett Cole, it should make the uh, Tigers and Pirates fans legit vomit. Like, you, I, I can't fathom how cheap they got those guys just because they were willing to pay them. That, in my judgment, is the new market inefficiency. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, it, it, it's, everybody wants to unload salary. And it's like, it's like when you look at those names that, that you gave up for two of the best pitchers, you're like, what are you? And, and you know what? It's 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 only money, and the thing is, when you win the World Series like the Astros did in 2017 and the fact that they're back in it, we learned from the San Francisco Giants, you're just printing money when you go to the World Series. Daz Cameron, Franklin Perez, Jake Rogers, Michael Feliz, Jason Martin, Colin Moran, and Joe Musgrove. That is a who's who of who's that in exchange for two Hall of Fame pitchers. That is why the Astros – are in the World Series this year, and just two years removed from being in the World Series with a juggernaut offensively. They were able to just 
you know, figure this thing out sort of on the fly and acknowledge that the rest of the league doesn't value these veteran power arms the way that other, you know, that they do. And as a result, here they are. You know, whether it's on Get Up or, or listening to you on, on Buster's podcast, Baseball Tonight, which is second to none in our sport, just how much fun do you have at your job coming up with all these nuggets? <laughs> um, nobody has a better job than I do. And everyone always asks. I mean, these, most of my friends, um, you, know, you know, work on Wall Street or they have business jobs because, you know, I flunked out of business school. I, always, I, I, I wish I got paid what they do, but they all wish that I got to do what they got to do what I do. So, like, it, imagine waking up every morning. Like, when I was, you know, in high school and college, like, I would spend all my time, you know, finagling my fantasy baseball roster. That's pretty much my job now. So it's uh, it's good work if you can get it, as I like to say. So when when, when you're looking at because you need to supply, you know, the talent, which is great talent that you guys have at ESPN, you're supplying them with, with all all of this knowledge and these nuggets. Which of the sports is the toughest to research and to find this great stuff? Well, I'm a lifelong I'm a lifelong baseball fan, and as a result, it just comes easily and naturally for me. Whereas uh, I don't, I don't have like this sort of ex- expansive uh, NBA background, for example, and it's much harder to research the NBA, believe it or not, than it is Major League Baseball and the NFL, just because of the resources available. I mean, look, ESPN has more resources for research purposes than practically any entity, and the money that we spend for those resources and the way that we train people to use them really is second to none. But for me, like baseball is the fun part, even though Get Up doesn't do a ton of baseball. Like that's sort of like my fun little hobby on the side. Whereas, as you know, we're just pounding NFL every single day. And that's yeah. all well and good because that's what, you know, the national audience generally wants. But like, anytime we get a chance to talk baseball, you better believe I got my grubby hands in that cookie jar. Oh, I love it. All right. You have crunched the numbers. The fall classic starts tomorrow. Do you like the Astros or do you like the Nationals? I like the Nationals. I'm picking the Nationals to win the series in seven games. I can't find many folks who will agree with me, but in my judgment, they have demonstrated that they've had four starting pitchers that can consistently get out, whereas the Astros really only have two, and even Justin Verlander has been shaky. Bullpens, I think you have identified it correctly, the Astros an advantage, albeit slightly. And while I think the Astros clearly have a better lineup, I'm not sure if they line up better suited to win the World Series in a series that will likely include a lot of strikeouts a lot of swing and miss. If it becomes a shootout, I favor Houston. If it becomes the kind of World Series that we've grown to expect over the last 10 years when the ball's not flying all over the place like it's a home run derby, I favor the Nationals. My only concern is that extensive layoff has really hurt teams in recent years, but if they could find a way to split in Houston, which I'm predicting, the Nationals are going to win this series. Well, you're a baseball guy. This is a baseball show, and I got to tell you, every single time you come on, we are all smarter because of it. <laughs> well, that, that is that is the utmost compliment that you can that you can provide a researcher. So it's uh, it's very kind of you to say. And uh, as you know, you can call anytime. I'll always pick up the phone. Hembo, you're the best. Continued success, and we'll talk to you soon. You're a good man. So Hembo likes the Nats. So far, looking pretty good. We'll see how his prediction, uh, if he will be correct. JJ Cooper from Baseball America. So we saw this article that they could be getting they could be getting rid of forty or more minor league baseball teams, and for me, I don't know how that's good for the sport. Like taking baseball away from a lot of these towns, a lot of these people can't go to major league baseball games because they're not close. I mean, this is how they become baseball fans, and they follow the great players that go through that system. They follow them to the big leagues, and they watch them on television. I just don't know how less baseball would be good for the brand of baseball. 
Here is J.J. Cooper from Baseball America. J.J., Chris Townsend with the Oakland Athletics. Thank you for coming on again. We appreciate it. Happy to join you, guys. How are you doing? Uh, We're just getting fired up for the World Series after Houston clinched, and you're starting to look at this pitching matchup, and people talking about this could be the greatest pitching matchup for starters that we've ever seen in the World Series. I do feel like I missed two great ones. I mean, I I don't think there's a doubt about that. I've probably put up maybe those Yankees-Braves series in in our lifetime. Yankees-Braves in the the 90s were, were pretty impressive as well. But I just think that at the end of the day, the thing that stands out to me is, is I do think that the Astros lineup's deeper. I think defensively they're as good, if not a little bit better. And, and as, so as good as the, the two pitching staffs are, I kind of put those as maybe a wash. And if that's the case, I'm probably still going Astros because of the hitters. Yeah, and the thing about these two rosters is that they're both veteran rosters. As as the game is going younger, and we're going to talk to you about less minor league teams, these are two veteran clubs we're going to see in the fall classic. Yes, there's no doubt about that. Um, you know, you have some guys who, I you have a on Houston side, you have pretty much a lineup who most of all these guys had have been here before. On on Washington side, that's less true, but it is absolutely the Anthony Rendon's, the uh, you know the Zimmermans. These are you know the the pitching staff. I mean, this, these are all guys who have seen a whole lot of baseball over their lives. It is two veteran teams. I don't, and I don't think that really. The reality is, is nowadays how the postseason works. I don't think the World Series is all that different, you know, as far as the environment from the uh, LCSs. And so, at this point, just in this season, even the Juan Sotos of the world, even the young guys, have absolutely had a lot of playoff experience because you have to have a lot of playoff experience just to get to this point. Yeah, that is actually a great point that I've never thought of. Thank you, JJ, because, you know, back in the day, if you won the American League or you won the National League, you immediately played in the World Series. Now that we've added wild card games and we have more playoffs than ever before, yeah, you're right. By the time you get to the World Series, you've already been in so much action already. You've seen the bullets flying. Juan Soto knows he can perform in playoff baseball because Juan Soto has already performed in playoff baseball. So when you look at this matchup, do you do, do do you see the Astros as that big of a favorite as what Vegas is telling us? Yes. I mean, I just think they're the better team. Now, the better team does not win a seven-game series every time by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but they were – the, the Astros-Yankees series was very arguably the matchup of the two best teams in baseball. And – at the end of the day, they ended up winning that relatively handily. I mean, I yes, it went six games. Yes, they won on a walk-off in the sixth game, but it didn't go seven. And I think when it's all said and done, you have to fairly say that they were the better team in that, in that series. Nothing against the Nationals. This Nationals team absolutely can win this World Series. But at the same time, no one would say, I mean, again, over the course of 162, the Nationals had a great finish to the season. If you erase that first 50 games, they were really, really good. The Astros were really, really good from the day they arrived in spring training in February until now. They're just, uh, again, they're, they're going for their second World Series title in a very short period of time. This is a team trying to become, trying to prove that they're a dynasty. 
Yeah, I, I was thinking about it, and J.J. Cooper from Baseball America joins us here, A's Cast Live with Chris Towns, and it was like, so so the Yankees really got to see what it's like to play in the American League West as, as we get to see the Astros so much. And, it's, and, and, J.J., it's hard to believe two straight years the A's have won 97 games, and all that gets you is into the wild card game. And not only just gets you in the wild card game, the, the reality of this is in both cases, doesn't really get you that close to winning the division, which 90, I mean, that's a lot of wins. I mean, that's something that there are a whole lot of divisions over the past, you know, uh, over the wild card era where 97 wins would win you the division running away. But that's just how good this Astros team has been that you pretty much right now you go into the season knowing if you don't win 100, you're probably not going to have a chance to win the division. So I read your article about paring down the minor leagues. And when I think about the minor leagues, nobody covers the minor leagues better than Baseball America. I, I understand it could be cost-cutting, could help teams. I'm just not sure less professional baseball, especially in the middle of America where a lot of people can't get to big league games, is actually good for the actual sport. What's your opinion on maybe paring down the minor leagues? Well, I, I've been trying to kind of keep my opinion out of it as much as I can because I'm trying to cover it fairly on both sides, major league side and minor league side. But I will say, like, the point you're raising is a is one that minor league baseball understandably raises, which is it's not just about developing the most efficient player development system you can. Let's just start with this is not a system that was ever developed. This we are the current minor league system that we have, the, the, the levels that we have. We have, you know, triple-A, double-A, high-A, low-A, short-season rookie, and complex rookie. That all has sprung up not because someone ever sat down one day and said, what is the most efficient way that we can develop players? It sprung up organically in the 1800s and then has been kind of, stuck into an organization the way that it is. I mean, that, that it was kind of, it grew, and then they said, okay, this is what we've got. But there are a lot of benefits to that, which you just hit on a big one, which is, for instance, I, you know, we are, Baseball America is based in Durham, North Carolina. We are located, we are five hours plus driving distance from any major league ballpark. So, for instance, my kids, so I'm a giant baseball fan, as you would imagine. My kids have been to one Major League Baseball game in their life, but they've been to, you know, double digits of minor league games. If they're going to be baseball fans, you know, as they grow up, it's not going to be the experience of going to a Major League park because that's just really not a practical experience. Well, this proposal obviously does not get rid of minor league baseball, but it's, and it's an initial proposal. It's a first proposal by MLB. However, if that proposal was adopted as proposed, it would mean that 40-plus teams, clubs, cities around the, around the, you know, would be, would no longer have affiliated minor league baseball. Now, the plan would also try to figure out ways that they would continue to have baseball of some sort, whether it's uh, this dream league that's kind of like a half indie ball, half minor league baseball, or summer wood bat leagues where you have college players playing in summer, but that's not the same thing as being the, uh, the short season affiliate of a club, you know, or the, you know, uh, and being able to say, I saw so-and-so on his way up to the majors. It's a, it's a 
different environment than the one that currently does exist. And to me, that really means something, right? Like if a King Griffey Jr. or a Barry Bonds or or a whoever comes through your town and you watch him go from, let's say, high A to double A to triple A to the big leagues, a, a kid like yours, your kids get to watch that, then they follow him into the big leagues, and now they're a fan of that team to where if we're going to take out a bunch of these teams – you could see people in middle of America not watching baseball at all anymore. Um, I, I grew up, uh, I'm from uh, the middle of uh, Georgia. Macon, Georgia is right up the road from where I grew up. But that's, that's also where I first worked out of college. And if they, at the time, they had the low-class they make and break. They don't anymore. They left to Rome. But they, at the time, they had the make and break. And if you asked anyone in Macon about the Macon Braves, what would almost assuredly come out of their mouths and did over and over and over is, yeah, Chipper Jones was here in Macon in, in 1991, had a great year, kind of really got him going on his way to Atlanta. And they were quite proud of that fact. Now, you know, right now, if you are in Bluefield, West Virginia, you could say that you saw Vladimir Guerrero Jr. as a 17-year-old, um, you know, Ronald Acuna played in Danville. Like there's these there's these very small towns that uh, you know got a chance to to see stars on their way up. At the same time, one of the reasons that Major League Baseball has proposed this is the facilities in many of these cities are not the stadiums are not at the level that you would probably expect in in 2019 coming into 2020 and. I will be the first to tell you, having gone to several of these, they are not at the level of what you would say a, a good Division I college uh, program stadium facilities would be like. And so one of the things that, that MLB is proposing here to kind of give some, some weight to their you know, argument is Major League Baseball wants the facilities that their minor league players, because they're fighting by the Major League team, that their minor league players play in to be significantly upgraded. And at the end of the day, what they're essentially saying with this is, is we do not believe that these 40 ballparks that we're talking about have any chance of getting to that. Now, that doesn't mean they're right. In 1990, there was a very contentious professional baseball agreement between major and minor league baseball. And at the time, after it was signed, many of the minor league teams said, there is no way that we'll be able to meet these upgraded facility requirements. And in the actuality, what ended up happening over the next four years, there was a building boom around minor league baseball, and it really boosted minor league baseball attendance because they found that a lot more fans wanted to come to a game in a modern, up-to-date ballpark than one that was built in the 30s. And so it really led to a boom for minor league baseball. At this time, the proposal is not to upgrade facilities. As it's, it is to upgrade facilities, but it's also to say the bottom quarter, the bottom 25% of minor league baseball, we're just going to lop off and, and have them do other things. But the facilities at a lot of places are below the standard that you would expect in 2019. 
So this could be a business ploy then, like a threat like, hey, you better upgrade or you're going to go away, which obviously we see in business all the time. We're seeing with the the threat for the Rays to play in Montreal. Recently, Rob Manfred was out here for the wild card game and brought up the threat of, of Las Vegas. Do you think this is more a threat or a reality? I think it's too early to tell. Um, the reality of it is is that this was not a – off the cuff, here's what we want to do. This was a a relatively fully formed plan, which does lead me to believe that it's more than just a negotiating ploy. At the same time, I also do not think that it's something written in stone by any stretch. You know, Major League Baseball's, you can call them demands well if you want. It's a negotiation, so let's call them demands. Major League Baseball wants their players to play in better facilities. They want them to play in leagues that are more geographically located closer to their major league affiliates. They want the travel to be, they want their, their players to travel less, which means reorganizing the minors. And they also do not like the current PDC format where every, or effectively every two years, teams can swap their affiliation. So, you know, and, and the A's have seen some of this happen, you know, where, you know, you can go from being a, you can be in one, city one year and the next year you're somewhere else well major league baseball wants those to become much more long-term and really wants to take more control over those they want it to be something where the you know to just take an example the mets don't ever have to worry about playing in las vegas like they did a few years ago where their triple a team was all the way across the country they don't want the nationals the nationals triple a affiliate right now is in fresno they don't want that to happen they want teams to be something where if whatever your major league club is, is you don't worry that your minor league clubs are far, far away from your major league city, unless that's something that you want to do. Um, so really they want a lot of it is that they want more control over the process, which in the past has been minor league baseball's domain. Minor league baseball determines the league structure. Minor league baseball determines, uh, you know, when a team moves from one city to another, Minor league baseball determines travel, scheduling, all that. Affiliations are an agreement, but it's one that minor league baseball teams have a lot of power in. Really, in many ways, what major league baseball is saying here is, is there is an, uh, a part of this that is, is that they want more power, more say in some of these decisions. Well, a lot of what you just said about what baseball wants, I would agree with them from a business standpoint, wouldn't you? Again, I'm really trying to keep my opinion out of it because I got to I got to yeah. try to report both sides of these fairly. But I would say I, I'll say it this way: if you talk to people all the way through minor league baseball, there is absolutely an understanding that facilities have to improve. There's no doubt about that. The last major facility standards rules were set in 1990. No one in a, in minor league baseball thinks that that is up to date for baseball in 2020. I mean, partly because there's a lot more people coaching staffs in the minors are a lot bigger now than they were 30 years ago. Um, there was not a video, you know, a video, a, a video analyst with every minor league team like there is now there. So there, there was not a nutritionist, you know, back then there really, in a lot of cases, there was no food being prepared specifically for the players. Now there is the need to be able to do food prep. There needs to be a place for the players to eat. You need expanded weight rooms and conditioning areas compared to what it was 30 years ago. 
all those things, I, there's kind of an agreement all the way around that those things need to happen. But now comes the question also with that of, okay, what's a reasonable time frame to get that done? And I think you would very much find that on Major League Baseball side, they would say this needs to happen relatively quickly. And on minor league baseball side, they would say, we don't disagree that this needs to happen, but you have to understand that these things move slowly because you're going to have a lot of different part, you know, parties involved and, and the wheels of government, you know, especially if you're going to get government funding to help do this, that moves relatively slowly. So they're looking at a, a expanded time frame. But I think also minor league baseball would absolutely agree at this point that that some of the travel in minor league baseball makes no sense. Um, I, again, in my area, we have the Lake Lakewood, New Jersey, and Rome, Georgia, are in the same league, and it's a bus league. Ooh. You know, it's a league where people, you know, the players ride buses. That's a that that's a full day in a bus, and a lot of you know teams do not have sleeper buses. Well. If you have a sleeper bus, it's a, it's a little bit different story than if you just have a regular bus for a trip like that. But Major League Baseball absolutely wants some of that travel reduced. And if you ask Minor League Baseball, they don't really disagree. They, they know at the end of the day that makes sense. But, again, I would also say, though, that a lot of that is, is okay, there's some general agreement that needs to happen. That doesn't mean in any way that there's agreement of how it's going to happen how quickly it needs to happen, things like that. JJ, really good stuff. We really appreciate it. You guys are second to none at Baseball America. Enjoy the World Series, and we'll be in touch this offseason. Sounds good. We hope you enjoyed A's Unfiltered with Chip Hale, All-Star Liam Hendricks, Hembo, and JJ Cooper. Thank you for listening to A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend, and we'll send you back to A's Cast powered by TuneIn. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.